You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast that explores love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak. And I'm Sophia Alexandra. And we have a fucking stellar episode for you today. I am so psyched. This is a really, really good one. We could listen to them talk for like days, honestly. So the who is Selena the Stripper, or otherwise known on Instagram, at Pretty Boy Girl. And they're an organizer, an activist, a writer, a stripper, a sex worker, all of the things. And just like a beautiful soul, an incredibly smart and involved human. They've been calling out the things that they've been seeing that don't benefit the sex worker community that are kind of taking advantage and exploitative. Yeah, like the controversy with FKA Twigs and... Recently, Bella Thorne joining OnlyFans. So if you want to read some of their really great criticism on that, you should check out their IG at Pretty Boy Girl. Yeah, and I think Selena is also very balanced and gives a nuanced perspective when they talk about all that. You know, when FKA Twigs gave some more context to her experience, Selena was right there, kind of revising their thoughts on it too. And... They're just such an incredible voice in this space. And I just have to say, Sophie and I fell in love with Selena at first sight. Do you remember when we first saw Selena at Raising Hell, Sophia? Oh, yeah, they were amazing. Selena is so good on the pole. And their music choices, we were like, what is that playing? (laughs) I know. And then we talked to Selena and we were like, stop it. You're too much. You're so eloquent and perfect. Get out of here. Yeah, but also, (laughs) no, no. come back, come on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really legitimately have like the biggest crush on Selena. And yes, watching someone engage in like current discourse around sex work in a way that is alive and like responsive, I think they walk a really good line between holding people accountable and also allowing people to change and grow. Yeah, totally. So you guys, this is, I mean, truly a fire interview. So without further ado, Selena the Stripper. Selena, we are so glad and excited to have you back on the podcast because you were part of our Raising Hell Soldiers of Pole extravaganza episode that we did. And you guys did an amazing show, but we're so glad that we got to meet you that night. And we wanted to have you on again, especially since we're doing this anti-racism series. So welcome. Yeah. Hey, thank you for having me. (laughs) It's also nice to have you because reading your Instagram posts has always been amazing. But especially during quarantine, I feel like it's my favorite book. So (laughs) Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your experiences with everybody during this time and in general. Thank you. No, um, I mean, it's 
truly like one of the ways that I can mentally escape in this moment. I mean, writing and me getting into erotica too, just exploring like a fantasy life. It's like, I just need an outlet. I need to feel like I'm not just stuck in my home or so. Yeah, I'm really glad you enjoy it. So you are on Instagram, you are at pretty boy girl. And mm-hmm. yeah, all listeners should that is an immediate follow you need to make. And we have so much stuff from your Instagram that we're actually going to get into. Okay. <laughs> but I think first, let's kick off the conversation um, by talking and I know this is such a broad topic. Mm-hmm. But you have such an interesting perspective as a sex worker and especially as a non-binary sex worker. So we wanted to get your perspective on how racism affects sex work and just how people can be better when it comes to that. Ooh, start off with a bang. <laughs> just just a short question, really. Just a really easy, <laughs> you know, softball question to begin this. <laughs> Um, well, it's, so my relationship with everything has really grown and complexified over the time that I have been a sex worker because, um, well, one, stripping in different places and, and sugaring in different places. I mean, from state to state, the racial politics are so radically different. So it's like what it looks like in Baltimore, where I started, versus what it looks like in Los Angeles is like a completely different thing. Like in Los Angeles, my kind of beauty is a very acceptable beauty. Mixed chicks, quote unquote, however my personal gender politics are. I present as cis femme. You know, people like me are acceptable and we have like a currency to our look. You know, it's a type of exotic look. But in Baltimore, it's a lot more black and white and there's a lot more overt discrimination, I think, even though it is one of the blackest cities in America. So it's really complex discrimination within the strip clubs. Um, I'm going to talk kind of about strip clubs, largely because that is my experience. But I do have experience sugar dating and I have experience escorting and um, a little bit of camming and phone sex. You name it, I've tried it. (laughs) (laughs) But um, there is a lot of discrimination and in the strip club, specifically hiring practices uh, around race and excluding people because there is a quota of black and brown dancers uh, is real. And there are really no government or city or state forces enforcing an anti-discrimination policy. So these clubs are just rampantly discriminating and overtly so. They're saying, you know, there's too many girls who look like you, quote unquote. And I've heard that from so many of my friends who have tried to audition at my club in particular. They say, oh, well, we have a bunch of girls who look like you. And that's just coded language, clearly. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of other coding uh, in clubs. Like, we don't play urban music. We don't play rap music. This isn't an Mm. urban club. We don't want the wrong kinds of people to come if we play that kind of music. And then, yeah, just it's so obvious, you know. It's like we're going to the 60s. It's like that level of apparent... um, you know, structural discrimination. So you really have to 
do what you can to fit within the parameters of what's attractive within white supremacy to do well as a sex worker, um, kind of regardless of who you are. And the same also within cis femininity. You also have to be very cis. You have to have the long hair, the long everything, the full makeup, the body that is fine with Eurocentric ideals and things like that. All of the discrimination really comes together and codifies to create the sex industry and it does not necessarily have to be this way and there are alternative networks of people buying sex work and and facilitating a more body positive and inclusive environment but that is not the rule across the industry so i mean it's so hard to get into this because every industry has different nuances you know like you could talk about the porn industry and how prevalent ebony titles and and interracial mm-hmm. porn uh, as a whole wormhole and like who is making the interracial porn? It's always white companies, you know, white companies hiring black men with a bunch of tiny white women. So, it, yeah, everything has nuances. So. so at like at the strip club, since, you know, that's been your primary experience, I mean, Obviously, it's the club owners or the management that are using this coded language. So there's a problem immediately right there. But how can it become a more inclusive space? Well, um, this is a difficult question. So corporate clubs face the greatest level of scrutiny because they are international So they face a lot of oversight with the government. They are less likely to discriminate and to have these kinds of policies because they're more likely to get sanctioned for it. Mm. So you may not see as much discrimination in places like Deja Vu or maybe Spearmint Rhino, like some of these other large chains, Hustler and stuff. But with the local clubs, they tend to be owned by individuals. Uh, They're... I mean, they're the mom and pops of strip clubs. It's kind of funny to think about, but Mm -hmm. they're owned by these individuals. And there's a lack of transparency overall with these clubs, with how they're run and who's in control of it, who owns the property, who is in charge of the policy making. And if it's just like a puppet company for a larger enterprise, I mean, what you're seeing right now is like, so I'm going to give you an example. So Cheetahs in Hollywood, and I've talked about this club a lot. It's been the source of a lot of controversy. They laid off all of their dancers, and they claimed that it was because they sold the club. They did not sell the club. They transferred a lot of assets over to their PPE and other medical supplies business because they were facing like bankruptcy with the club. Like They were filing for bankruptcy. They transferred their assets. They moved stuff around. They switched the ownership from like father to son or something like that. They do all of this stuff to avoid, you know, financial uh, oversight and also to be able to do tricky stuff like firing an entire workforce without any kind of due process or time allocated ahead so that the dancers are able to transfer over and figure out stuff. So, yeah, they do all kinds of very shady stuff. So it's very hard. You can say shit. Shady shit. They do all kinds of shady shit. So it's hard to, you know, hold a lot of these clubs to any standards because you don't know who is owning these things they change the names like with their tax filings like my club has one name but they named the actual property and project and everything 
after the street where it is. And that's super common with a lot of these strip clubs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have all of these hiding places and ways to get around the law and they're paying off all of these politicians. And, you know, my club is operating completely illegally, uh, utterly illegally, but we have paid off everybody in our s- local government. So it's like, what can we do to change a lot of these clubs? There could be greater transparency in a way, but there is also the fear within the community of government oversight because a lot of that comes with greater surveillance of sex workers. People are already worried about that. And then a lot of this is kind of, if you start petitioning and saying, oh, there's discrimination at my club, there is a particular lawyer that has been going around and using this to create a lawsuit to shut down strip clubs across America to Uh. limit the number of strip clubs that are able to pop up. So he'll be like, well, you see all of these filings for discrimination and other workplace abuses clearly strip clubs are bad so we need to shut them down or put a cap on how many can appear so (laughs) there's like this whole complex system that is around the mechanism that is strip clubs and other industries have their own problems that makes it hard for us to be like hey we need to stop discrimination this isn't fair you know like hey you can't be stealing our wages that's not right like why should we pay to work why are we as a workforce paying our employers to work so i feel like it's a weird intersection of all of these things where uh, i feel like that's why it's hard to answer the question that we asked because this is like uh the intersection of workers rights and like lack of unions and the way sex work is stigmatized in this country and combined with racism it's like saying well why is politics so racist it's like well do we start with like redlining or the way that people get elected or it's it's a lot of things so I mean thank you for coming on to like try to you know give anybody like who is not a part of this world a window into how complicated it is to fight for your rights in a system that is so messed up already yeah it's like a marginalized fight within a marginalized fight it's it's like yeah it's like a russian doll of a problem it's yes (laughs) truly yeah i mean So I can kind of say what some organizations are doing. Oh, that would be awesome. So um, the PDX Stripper Strike in Portland is doing some really interesting stuff. And they kind of can dovetail into what Soldiers of Pole is doing. But they are kind of trying to fight this the same way that we fought discrimination in the civil rights era. So they're like, okay, um, discrimination, if we say it's federally illegal, Um, How do we enforce this? And then they're going through like, well, we can enforce this through interstate taxes because of this kind of tax code means that you have to follow these particular measures and stuff like that. They're trying to do decrim by making sex workers a protected class of people um, Mm. because of the amount of discrimination that they face. So it's like to say, you know, we should be a protected class and therefore that can like snowball into decrim. So it's working within the laws that are already in existence. And I think that that's really super interesting. They're also detailing abuses across the country and trying to gather enough data to show like this is an issue and, you know, this is what is happening, showing the trends, showing how people and dancers are trying to uh, combat it. 
you know, offering anti-discrimination trainings and stuff as a tool for accountability. So they have a really interesting way that they're doing it. Um, Soldiers of Pole is working on unionizing and talking about what workers' rights you have, depending on if you're an employee or an independent contractor. So there's a lot of really cool, tricky stuff that's going on to combat discrimination. But it's, it is really hard to regulate this industry because of that mm-hmm. whole snowball of, you know, all of the elements that come together to make the system that makes it oppressive. <laughs> like, it's not inherently oppressive. I want to say that. But the systems that, that are at play work together to create an oppressive environment. Do you have a lot on your mind? In times of stress or anxiety, it can be hard to remember to take time to focus on yourself. But your joy and pleasure are so important, especially right now. Put your well-being first with Dipsy. Dipsy is an audio app that's full of short, sexy stories and guided sessions that are designed to turn you on and help you get in touch with yourself. Wink! (laughs) The stories are relatable and immersive, so you feel like you're right there. And there's something for everyone, whoever you are and whatever you're into. Yeah, I love that about Dipsy because they add new content every week. There's always more stories to explore and there's stories about everything like spontaneous stranger hookups. There is uh, sexy yoga instructor fantasies. There's couples stuff there's new toys getting tied up all of it and the wellness sessions can also help you unlock new confidence or heighten intimacy with your partner and for listeners of private parts unknown dipsy's offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com private that's a 30-day free trial when you go to d-i-p-s-e-a stories.com private dipsystories.com private I feel like uh, sometimes people don't understand that sex workers don't necessarily want to stop being sex workers. They want to be able to do their job in a way that doesn't demean them and that gives them the same security that any other job ideally should give a person. Definitely. I mean, I love my job. The people that I am with in my um, in Soldiers of Pole, I mean, we love our jobs. And I think also, you know, there's a diversity of feelings about it. Some people are ambivalent about their jobs, but it is the job that they are working. It is the job that pays the most and allows them to live their lives in the best way that they are able to. So you don't have to fucking love your job to expect <laughs> to want to be, rights at it. Yeah. To have rights, <laughs> to want rights, to expect dignity, to want safety. But I personally think my job is dope. I feel like it's something that makes a lot of sense for me. I'm a caretaker. I like giving and I think sexuality is just endlessly fascinating to me. And my interactions with my customers are very intimate. And that's how I sustain my, you know, people who are sustaining me through uh, COVID because I have very intimate bonds with them. So it's different for everybody. But the thing that is constant is that we just want security we want safety we want some oversight and uh you know we want it to be an environment where we can perform our job and and be protected fair enough can (laughs) you shed a little bit of light on uh racism in escorting which just to switch from strip, (laughs) strip clubs yeah 
I mean, if you just look at the money, the money is different. I think I'm lucky because I'm paid really well um, for a, a person of color, but that is not consistent. And I also have a lot of privileges as a person of color. Like I have looser curls, I have lighter skin, um, and I am not like 100% black. So I think that that really um, benefits me. It is my privilege. But, you know, you see the prices and the value go down um, on people who are darker, people who are fatter, people who are more uh, genderqueer. So it's definitely a place where you see it so overtly. I mean, you can see it from ads and you see like what, for example, white sex workers are expected to do versus dark black sex workers. There's generally less of a level of pushiness, more willingness to pay a higher price. Their bodies are immediately seen as more valuable and their sites are generally, you see more money with it. You know, um, I think a lot of black sex workers who are doing escorting, uh, you know, they get haggled down a lot. I mean, I've been told so many times by people who don't want to pay my price, like, oh, well, I hired this Brazilian girl and paid her only X amount of money. Like, why can't you accept that amount of money? And they look at me like, they're like, oh, well, you're like that. So you should accept that kind of money. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. So now there's this added layer to your whole industry with the pandemic. How has that changed things for you? Well, strippers are out of work for the most part. I mean, I know there are a few strip club experiments that are happening. I want to say in Portland, they have a drive through and they have another drive through in Texas. I think there might be one in Oklahoma because, you know, they're freewheeling out there. Um, and then there's some outdoor club situation in Rhode Island. But for the most part, you know, aside from the brief reopening that led to this wild resurgence of the first wave of COVID, uh, most strip clubs have been closed for the entirety of this pandemic. And so I've been out of work since March um, out of my typical workplace. And so I've had to rely on out calls with my clients that I've been close to. So I have um, a number of clients that I've known for at least a long enough period of time that I can trust them. I think mm -hmm. all of them, except for maybe one, I've known for over a year. So we have a relationship and um, I trust them. I know what amount of money that they're willing to spend and I'm willing to go and see them. So I've been visiting them. And you trust that they're going to keep you safe? Yeah, I do. I trust that, that they're going to keep me safe. And I mean, I think I'm generally a pretty discerning person, um, but there is always that initial risk. I mean, the first time that I did any out call was with one of my most notorious clients, Danny. Well, actually, no, it wasn't my first sugar daddy, but that's a different story. But anyway, um, <laughs> it was it was Danny at a hotel and I was so scared and I just remember texting people like, you know, if anything happens, this is where I am. This is who I'm with. Because you never know. You're going to go into a space. You don't know if somebody's going to short you, try and talk you down at the last second, uh, push you to do more than you're comfortable with or what. I mean, I always share my location. My friends, we share locations anytime we're doing things just to make sure because yeah, nobody cares. The law enforcement does not care. They're not going to search for me if something happens realistically. Like they're going to say, oh, well, she shouldn't have been doing that. You know, they're going to misgender me. They're going to 
probably release my full legal name and everything and not care what that does to me or to the people around me. And they probably won't do very much to look for me. It's just the reality that I think I make peace with and sex workers in general make peace with because we're not considered to be a valuable group of people and because uh, we are seen as consenting to anything and everything just because of our occupation. That's why it needs to be legal. You were saying that uh, this is why sex workers uh, want to be a protected class and aren't. Mm -hmm. And um, it's the same thing that trying to explain uh, to people who should clearly get it but don't about why black people want rights, where you're like, well, but it seems really obvious. Yeah. (laughs) People are dying and getting hurt. It should not require an extensive explanation. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know how to convince you to care, like, Mm -hmm. about other people. I mean, it's also just like, I'm an abolitionist. I'm not here for cops. Um, So... I would not encourage people in my community to call the cops. I think that most of the work can be done within my community and with uh, other organizations. I think that we care for each other better. I mean, I see that especially with the mutual aid campaigns that have been happening with sex workers across the country and across the world. I mean, we've been holding campaigns, fundraisers, sharing money, sharing Venmos, and just taking care of each other because the fucking government is not doing it. You know? <laughs> no. No. Oh. That's beautiful, though. Oh, is Danny the client that just made an appearance on your feed? Or was that, is it Marcus? Da- <laughs> Danny is one of the people. Um, you've seen Danny's foot now in my feed. <laughs> Wait, no. Who was the guy who we saw the outline of his head? Oh, that was arm? Marcus. That was Marcus. Marcus. That's yeah. who it was. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah. Like, I'm you telling t- you, this is my favorite show. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We know. We're up to date. So tell us about revealing Marcus. And, like, I would love to know more about those long-term kind of client relationships. And then what was the response? Because Sophia and I are not the only people standing your <laughs> Instagram. What was the feedback? <laughs> I, I think people were really uh, just interested. And then I think also the men were, like... I think they have this weird perception that I'm only escorting for like handsome young men or whatever. Like big yeah, or something. Yeah, like big or something. Yeah, very like sex in the city type energy. And like that's not the case. It's just a slew of men who can afford my rates. Like they're they are what they are. Um I think people think about it like dating. They're like, well, she's objectively super hot. So the people she's getting together with are probably going to be exactly the same as her. And it's like, well, that's not even necessarily true for dating. That's not how people get together. But especially not true for clients. No, especially not true for clients. And it's just like, realistically, who's going to be able to afford my rates? Like somebody who's like, in their early or mid 20s to early 30s or somebody who's like 40s to 60 is Mm -hmm. 40s to 60 all the time you know like it takes time to accumulate money to afford sex work unless you're just paying on credit or just doing something truly irresponsible (laughs) Um, (laughs) totally but I mean it's like these glimpses into the to see the people that I've been talking about and chronicling for years I mean Danny I've been with for like two years or something and Dale, I've been seeing. I just took a picture of Dale that I might post. I'm not even sure. It's a little bit risque. 
Um, I'm so excited. Um, I've known Dale for at least a year. Uh, I've known Marcus for maybe like half a year, almost a year at this point. So it's like, these are long-term relationships. Oh, Charlie, I've known for two years. That really crept up on me. Sometimes it will creep up on me, but I'll just remember the first time that we met with Charlie, who is Gemini Ketamine Man. Uh, <laughs> I met him two years ago now, and that was back when he was in the, the therapeutic ketamine business. Now he's completely doing something totally different. Um, I want to like reveal his stuff, but he has he's <laughs> on some NDAs for some stuff, but he's helping facilitate a fight uh, with his COVID testing. He's doing like PCR COVID testing. Wow. <laughs> this is so fascinating. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, that sounds like almost like a regular relationship in that it, you know, it's like this regular thing and you keep it going for a long time and it's like a couple years later and you're like, whoa, shit. Yeah. This is, like we have a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's, you know, Danny and and Charlie have like lasted for longer than some of my normal relationships. Uh, I mean, one of my friends who took over dating my sugar daddy after I left, um, that's another story, but she, <laughs> she has been dating him since I left and now it's like uh, five years later. Five years later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long relationship. It's a long relationship. And I think people have this notion about sex work that it's like, oh, like you just go through a bunch of anonymous women, quote unquote, and it's totally faceless and you're just looking for the next high, the next new thing. It's like totally commodity driven and just like fashion. You know, you change out your shirt every season. But it's like people have relationships with their sex workers they have long-term relationships and it mirrors a lot that we see in our typical non-financial relationships. There's a lot of caring, checking in. I check in with my clients now through COVID to see how they're doing. A couple yeah. have had COVID and that was scary. You know, we talk about different financial things and really enmesh with some of their financial stuff. I don't know. It's, it's very intimate and a lot, these are very long-term and I think it's like, you just have the same emotions. A lot of these these people, a lot of my clients have the same emotions that anybody else has in a relationship of caring and worrying about the people and wanting the best for them and, you know, having the same like high of getting to know them and like the fascination with their lives and stuff. It's it's like we're just people and we're we have all of that stuff. Even my my one female client, which I have to shout out, I love her. Her name is Lily. Well, her name that I've given her is Lily. Um, but I mean, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if like Lily like want to see me for a really long time, but we've been going for months now. And, you know, sometimes I'll need a break or whatever and she'll hit me up again. And I'm like, oh, this is like, oh, it's, a, it's fully a relationship. I've become a piece of your routine. Like <laughs> it's it's really sweet. That's amazing. And so on that you are also a client of sex work. Yes. Because so Sophia and I recently became clients as well. And we got happy ending massages on our Tokyo trip. And it was like, 
honestly such an incredible eye-opening experience. I mean, we did a whole episode about it, so anybody listening should go back and check that out. But I saw your post about your happy ending massage, I think on the plane ride back or something. And I was like, oh, yes, I cannot wait to talk to her about this. So, yeah, we, we would love to get your kind of perspective on it and how it feels to be on the other side. Yeah. God, I'm like, so I started writing about it. Um, So this is my third happy ending experience that I've done. (laughs) Um, So the first one was such a, okay, so there's a lot of learning that goes into this and it's not super obvious. And I know that, I mean, you two have a different experience too. Buying it abroad is like a whole other set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Like how do you find the words for it? How do you find the right person? And and all of that. Um, and how do you convey trust and consent whenever there is that language barrier? So totally. That's a whole other dimension. So it's really hard to search this. <laughs> There's not a great database for people with vulvas to search for pleasure and for practitioners for these kinds of things. Um, and especially if you're looking for men or something, I think it's a little bit easier to find women. And there's also like the thing that's like, I know so many sex workers, but I just don't feel like I can call up my homie and ask them to jerk me off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Totally. That'll change the friendship for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's like some would be like, it's chill and, you know, but it's still like, there's something important to me about it being a little bit anonymous and like a stranger, you know? Totally. Yeah, that's what I liked about it. So it was interesting. Same. To hear you talk about the other side of that, which is the long-term intimacy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay, I should start with the searching. So if you're ever interested in buying a full, like a sensual massage, a happy ending massage as a person with a vulva, I would suggest that you search for tantric massage for women. Ah. So that's the best way in the U.S. to do it because there are a lot of tantra temples and a lot of tantric practitioners who get into this and they call it pelvic work and they call it other things. There's call it yoni massage. You can also search yoni massage. So it's, you really have to like know these terms and search like, you know. I wouldn't have guessed yoni massage was going to f- get know. me a happy ending. That seems like a Dr. Ruth workshop. Yeah. <laughs> like a goop thing. It yeah, seems you know? like a goop thing. And, like, and I love Dr. Not- Ruth. No shade, but I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and it is such an old, it's like a granny word in a way. It's like your hippie granny is going to call it a yoni. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but tantra practitioners will call it yoni or call it yoni massage, call it pelvic work, pelvic massage and all of that. And uh, so search that. I searched that. I found a couple of Tantra temples and I found a bunch of practitioners. And so I went through the site and this, I'm talking about my most recent one actually right now. I was going to talk about one that was a total flop, but let me just tell you from the future how to do it right. Yeah. Tell us a success (laughs) story. You want a success story, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I looked through a bunch of different practitioners and The rates for it are kind of high. It's going to depend a lot. But I think also some of the practitioners will be willing to negotiate the rates with you um, because these people are healers. They are spiritual people. They do care. And I think also there's just not 
a ton of women and not a ton of uh, AFABs, people with vulvas who are out here, you know, searching for sex work or body work. They're going to call it body work in this instance, too. This is largely like legal stuff, too, to prevent them from, you know, being classified uh, Mm. as prostitution or things like that. So, you know, you got to you got to work around this. You got to work around the law. And this is body work, sensual massage. So I found a person that I liked after scrolling through a bunch and he had a bunch of like different offerings. And so what I've learned is that it is so great to set up a video call prior to confirming anything. Good Uh, idea. Great tip. Yeah. So because the first person, if I had video called him, I would not have gone with him. (laughs) It was... I would not have paid The vibes him. were whack, huh? <laughs> he was so whack. It's like I knew as soon as he opened his mouth that he was full of shit and just like didn't know how to do anything. You're like, I'm not going to pay for this. Right. <laughs> I'm true. You're like, bitch, pay me if yeah. you ever touch me again. <laughs> he was like way too excited to get at my body and stuff. And I was just like, okay, like, but just it's about me. Like, focus on me. And he even did the really like stupid man thing that's like oh did you come yet like oh gross no come on you would know i think you would know or i would hope you would know if you're a professional what are you dudes i'm fucking in college exactly (laughs) yeah it just makes you think of that meme it's like a renaissance painting and a woman has her legs spread and there's just like a skeleton like looking up at her and it's (laughs) 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 and they always put the you come yet like <laughs> um, so so yeah so I uh, I'm gonna plug his name because he's he's totally above board and just like a wonderful human. So um, his his like massage name is Rahi. Yes, good to know. If anybody wants his info, I'll share it because he's just amazing. Um, but L.A. women, listen to this. <laughs> L.A. If you're out here for it, I will definitely suggest this person. So. Um, we did a call and he started off by like asking me to tune into my body and asked how I felt, like what were all of the parts of me feeling. And I just had a moment where I was like, I just feel a lot of pain. Like I, my knees hurt, my ankles hurt, my back was tight. We just had a moment where we were acknowledging the amount of pain that my body was in that I wasn't acknowledging before. And I just started crying. <laughs> like I was like, oh my God, Aww. like... I can't like I can't believe that I'm just like crying like first time I get on this call with this person I'm just here to get jerked off like kind of but then I was like okay like maybe there's some like healing stuff that we can do and so and it clearly was a real connection because you wouldn't randomly just cry oh with somebody's it was like he literally truly cared and then the the following session um was like an intake session and he was asking me stuff like how were you conceived? Like, what was your conception like? And what was, you know, how were things in the womb? And starting from there, and I was like, wow, like, this is kind of crazy, but also kind of like very real because, you know, a lot of that birth trauma, especially with black mothers and with you mm-hmm. know women of color is super real. And we maybe don't even fully recognize all that's going on, all of that like generational trauma and the whole like you know issue of the history of gynecology and like mm-hmm. the lack of care for the pain threshold for women of color and the way that the medical system like largely does not honor the wishes of women of color especially when it comes to birth 
So it just really like he really tapped into that and we decided to go for something therapeutic. So it would be like a three session um, thing. And then the final one would involve pelvic work. Um, the the hand job. <laughs> <laughs> he really makes you work for it. Yeah. The third one, he's yeah. finally like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he would have let me jump straight there if that was what I wanted. But I was kind of open and I was like, maybe I do want some therapy because I think I've also struggled a little bit with wanting therapy, but being so enmeshed with the language of therapy and all of that, that I, it's often not useful. Um, Mm. Like I know so much of the terminology I've grown up in therapy. Like I've been in therapy since I was a very young child. So I'm just not getting the same benefits because it's the same stuff that I already kind of know. And so I've been looking into alternative forms of therapy. And I also acknowledge I have sexual trauma. Like as a sex worker, things have happened to me. Like that's real. And even outside of that, in my vanilla life, things have happened to me. So I was like, okay, like I'm going to go here and I'm going to be open and see what happens. So we did all kinds of things. Like I was wanted to focus on... Um, expressing what I want and what I need. And we did some exercises that were about me demanding things to the point where I literally couldn't have anything else to demand. He would be like, okay, but how could this be better? How could you be even more comfortable? How could this feel even better for your body? Let this settle in and then tell me if there's anything else you want. And it was just so in a way overwhelming to, to be demanding to yes that was part of my experience too yeah to really say like this is what I want and really articulate it because I think as AFABs as women we are not conditioned to have that voice um or to to consider that to be necessary there were so many times in the session where I felt like oh I'm just I'm asking so much like what can I do for him like (laughs) I hope he's enjoying himself. And I'm like, no, like this, this is truly like just completely be selfish. It's so hard. (laughs) Yes, that is even, I mean, my experience wasn't, he wasn't trying to be therapeutic, but just having someone be like, I am just here to service your pleasure is such a powerful thing that I think I didn't even realize that that was going to be part of it or that that was something that I don't feel on a regular basis until I had that experience. And I was like, holy shit, I I guess normally I'm just here to service someone else because what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Definitely. I mean, like I said earlier, I'm a caretaker. I'm so accustomed to caring for other people and attending to other people needs and holding space for other people that when it was time for me to hold my own space I was like wow this is really foreign and kind of uncomfortable I think listening to you I just realized something that I was like holy shit I think as women or as femme people I feel like frequently we are brought up to uh, not really be able to have a line between empathy and caring about the comforts of someone above your own you know what I mean I think like our empathy so quickly crosses over we're like wait no but what can I do to help you instead of being like oh I could be empathetic about what you're doing right now without doing that yeah like taking it on 
It's, yeah, it's just like a weird step of like hiring uh, a man for sex work. And of course, it's normal to care about the person I've hired and their well-being. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Empathy is normal. Having empathy is normal. But the part where now it goes immediately into how can I serve you and what can I do for you? And am I asking too much? Yeah, that's I think what like a lot of our kind of training has been is to not be able to draw that line and to just immediately cross over and just like want to give too much yeah there's there's just like the straight from caring to doing like not the just living in it you know living in the caring and allowing yourself to receive simultaneously like it's it's hard (laughs) so we did for the first session some tre because you know uh humans don't have like that shake off after aggression or after things that are unnerving we kind of build all of that tension up so we tried some like tremor release exercises and then some support things with like some heated pillows that kind of you like snaked around my body and we talked about the different areas of pain in my body and what to we could do to soothe that there was a session of vaginal steaming and then um some massage and it was like the full body consensual massage so that was like not the pelvic work but it was like pre-pelvic work it was like an erotic massage without the goal of orgasm at the end And then finally, the final session, we did the pelvic work and it was like a combination. So we, we, for any of those sensual, like the more getting into the body and hands on the body, we would do like vaginal steaming. So we did steaming, we did some of the support exercise and expressing like what I needed. And then finally did the pelvic work. And it was really interesting. Like I did have an orgasm and that was cool. But there were other things that were like super interesting, which was like he was testing like the different sensitivity of the various parts of my vagina and vulva, the walls of my vagina. He would talk about this is like the spongy tissue of this and I'm drawing my fingers around your cervix. This is where your cervical opening is. Do you sense this? What's direction of circles? Feel good. And now I'm going to like do an intravaginal massage of this tissue in your pelvis. Like it's getting to like, of tissue in my legs through my vulva i was like whoa this is wild <laughs> that's crazy yeah we need this guy's number yeah <laughs> rahi we're coming for you yeah rahi <laughs> um so it was yeah it was just like a really interesting way of like getting to know my vulva there was even stuff in the the body massage part which was he did things to like lift my tailbone so he like tucked under like the tailbone and like created this pressure and like pulled it forward and I was like oh this is like an interesting sensation that I'm just like not even accustomed to and like trying different tickle touch he's like oh yeah like this is another form of erotic touch like do you ever do you like this or is it uncomfortable and I was like I think I actually like this which is weird because I typically hate being tickled it's (laughs) (laughs) but it was such a it was like a a real banquet of touch. <laughs> That's a beautiful experience. Yeah. Do you think you're going to do it again? Um, I think so. Well, we're going to we're going to do we have one more uh, session. And the other thing that he does is like de-armoring. So um, so one of the things. Ooh. Yeah. So I think um, people with vulvas or just generally people have a lot of armoring in the sense that we either create 
negative sensation or dull sensation around parts because of trauma, because of fear and other things. And for me, that came in the sense that like sometimes my vulva will just dull out to sensation. It's because I get handled a lot and my job is a lot of handling. Sometimes I'm more open to it than other times. And so my body's really capable of just shutting it off. And so we did some de-armoring stuff and talking about like, how do we re- connect with that sensation and awareness in different parts. So that was another really cool thing. So I think there's one more session and I kind of want to work on some de-armoring of some of the less sensitive parts of me. I mean, there's one thing that I'm not 100% sure about, but it's like um, my clit is like not as sensitive as it can be. Sometimes it is very sensitive, but I do, I relate to that. I do yeah. use a lot of toys. Me too. <laughs> you can burn it out, man. You can burn it out when you go hard. <laughs> yeah. it's like, and they're so fun. I'm not going to quit. So it's yeah. a hard thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just got to, yeah, I just got to recalibrate so you can go hard again. I think so. I think that's it. It's like, I'm not trying to give up any of my toys. Like, I love them for a reason. <laughs> but like, you know, sometimes I want to tap in. Sometimes I want to like recalibrate, like you said. So... So I think I want to kind of focus on like de-armoring and recalibrating my clit in the next session. I love it. (laughs) So yeah, I would, I definitely would recommend him. And I also, I just love him to death. I'm just, you know, I want to, I want to have somebody that I can come to. (laughs) Puns intended. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, for this kind of thing, because I like buying sex work. It's really empowering. It feels great. I get to focus Mm -hmm. on myself. And I just, it's just really dope. Like, I like being part of the industry that I work for, you know? Hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like sometimes, you know, you work in the restaurant industry, you bring home the food you make, and you're like, I made this. (laughs) It's kind of good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It feels really good to laugh at, like, a comedian uh, that's, you know, like someone I look up to. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting there and relaxing and I'm like, ooh, this person's a master. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't have to do anything. I'm just here to watch and drink and laugh. Oh my God. Ooh, yes. is this how the other half lives? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was dope for us as sex podcasters too to have the experience of paying for sex because, you know, we're so pro sex work and we got to put our pussies where our mouths are and <laughs> it felt really good yeah. really was where his mouth was but that's <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> hey cokes how are you keeping your mind sharp during the core uh yeah exactly same <laughs> i think our brains need a jump start and trivia is perfect for that trivia keeps you on your toes so if you love trivia you need to check out trivia star it's the best way to test yourself Ooh, that's a great idea trivia star is a free mobile quiz game that's entertaining and challenging You can juice categories like music, sports, movies, TV, animals. I crush animals. Celebrities. There are over 60 categories to choose from, so there's always more trivia to explore. You sound like Lenny from Mice and Men. I crush animals. (laughs) I I do. I murder them with my bare hands. (laughs) So if you choose the correct answer from multiple choices and beat the clock, you move on to the next level. And the questions get harder and harder, but if you get stuck, don't worry. You can use coins or gems to get a hint and beat the level. 
Ooh, coins and gems. Plus, Trivia Star has 2,000 five-star reviews in the Apple Store. Join them today and see if you're smart enough to win. And right now, Trivia Star is offering you 2,500 coins and 500 gems when you download and play. Just go to the Apple or Google Store and search for Trivia Star. Again, search Trivia Star and enjoy 2,500 coins and 500 gems. Download Trivia Star for free today. So we've been asking everyone three questions for this series. And the first one is, what is your favorite work of art by a black artist? Oh, I know. Okay, I love everything by Ellen Gallagher. So Ellen Gallagher, uh, if you live in LA, you can check her work out at The Broad. But she is this amazing uh, black artist who has these like cutouts of um, old ads for various black products. And she does these little like sculpy clay hair things on top of them. Oh my God, I've seen her work. It's amazing. Yeah, it's so It's great. so good. Yeah, love her so much. She's amazing. <laughs> yes. I'll, I have a picture from uh, an exhibit I saw. So we'll post that on our social media. Yes. That's a great pick. She's amazing. <laughs> um, okay, second question. What impact has race had on your experiences in dating and relationships? Uh, well, I have done a lot of interracial dating, I suppose, if we want to call it that. It feels like so colored by porn, the terminologies that we have. Yeah. Um, I've dated a lot of people who are not black and latino like me so um there's a lot of you know my family might be racist things i mean it's it's just everybody is really different all of the families have been different i've met a lot of families um and (laughs) it's just i mean being a person of color and dating there's always going to be racial issues. And I think for me, I always have to be really overt about them, especially if I'm dating a white person. Um, I'm going to make a lot of fun of their white culture. Like, (laughs) (laughs) as you should. Simple, very small tax that they pay. That's the tax of, of my infinite knowledge and experience. (laughs) (laughs) So one of my partners is white right now. And, um, I'm always like, I'm such a resource. Like you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Compensate me, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah. He's a champ though. He definitely takes it in stride and he's like, yeah, you're right. Like white people kind of are how they are. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So like you're open about talking about it always and like bringing up issues that come up that are race related. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm always clowning white people and sending him like, I'll send him a picture and I'll be like white culture TM. (laughs) Well, I think I also just like, I point out a lot of cultural things that he's just like not even aware of. That is a good resource. Yeah, he'll just, he'll be like, he said, oh, actually, I don't want to I don't want to bring it out because it's really embarrassing. I'm not going to out him. But he has said some really dumb stuff. And I'm just like, do you understand how like white this is? This yeah. is right now, like comparing your experience having a little border trouble, like border crossing trouble with what it feels like to be a black man in America. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Honestly, I've had to have some, you're saying some white people shit conversations with my own boyfriend. So, <laughs> which, <laughs> which so. must have really hit him hard coming from his white girlfriend. <laughs> well, you, sometimes you have to, I know, there's be that degrees person. of whiteness, you know, he's white with several W's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're definitely. It's like how you add C's to thick, you know? Yeah. It's like you just add W's to white. <laughs> White. <laughs> white is the worst kind of white you can be <laughs> it becomes a whisper <laughs> oh god yeah that's not a good sign <laughs> no um okay so on that note question number three what is one thing you want people to know about how to be a better ally Oh, um, it isn't fun <laughs> to be a good ally because you're going to have to make sacrifices. Like you're going to have to sacrifice your comfort and the security that you had in being a good person to be a good ally. Like it's not like, oh, like fun. And I just get the props of, you know, being accepted by the blacks and the, the coloreds, you know, <laughs> like you got to do more, you got to go hard and you're going to be constantly regarded as like, you know, a possible enemy because historically, like we have no reason to trust you. You have to like constantly be there and be willing to be tested and have your allyship in question. And uh, that's just the nature of it. It's, it's hard and it can be thankless um but it is so necessary and i know like people will be grateful if you are a proper good ally but it's fucking hard it is fucking hard oh my god you've been so amazing <laughs> fire I, interview dude a fire interview i don't want it to stop but where can people connect with you after this podcast yeah um so if you want to connect with me you can follow me on instagram at pretty boy girl you can sign up for my patreon at the real pretty boy girl uh lots of stories there and my tantric healing is gonna be up real soon i know i keep saying this but it is i actually have the document open in another tab uh and yes. i've started it i have a bunch of paragraphs banged out so that one's gonna be really cool yeah, there's so much writing in there. I've been at it for a year and a half now. So there's like 75 different entries that you can go through of all kinds of really fun stories of club life, escorting, everything like that. You can follow my podcast and check it out on all of the platforms. It's Ho in the Know, spelled the worst way possible. Uh, H-E-A-U-X in the K-N-E-A-U-X. And you can make fun of me all you want. If you listen, you can just be like, it's Hukes and the Nukes. <laughs> I say it that way too, so you're fine. And we have an Instagram uh, at Ho in the Know. And there I talk to all kinds of sex workers about their work and their lives and politics and just kind of everything. Um, and I uh, do historical segments on other sex workers. It is because... Not enough people are writing the history of sex work, and I think that sex workers do it best. We do it without the same like voyeuristic uh, perspective that a lot of other sources do, and it's not using carceral language. It's using our own language and our own words, and we are creating oral history. 
So check that out if you are interested. That's an amazing pitch. That is beautiful. Uh, We love it. And seriously, if you don't follow at Pretty Boy Girl, you are crazy because <laughs> the entries are really, really good and you'll just keep uh, keep scrolling. Yeah, you'll be missing out. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me. That was so interesting and entertaining and just got all my circuits firing. Did you love that, Coax? Mm, I am turned. I am <laughs> <laughs> ready to go. Honestly, I wish I could hop on a pole right now. Are you lit? <laughs> I'm lit. <laughs> Are you shook? <laughs> Give me all those youth words. Come on, you rain on me. <laughs> <laughs> this interview slaps. Am I right, youths? <laughs> Millennials? Oh wait, that's us. <laughs> oh man, this is the saddest. <laughs> We're old, but Selena is a shining gem of our generation and we're so glad we get to talk to them. Yeah, and uh, we have more great interviews coming up. Our next one is with comedian, artist, actor, Greg Edwards. Oh, my God. You want to talk about another fire interview? <laughs> How fire is it, Cox? <laughs> in fuego. <laughs> Legit, in another language, fire. Like hot Cheeto hot? or Yes. Okay. Yes, your favorite. Um, I know, it's all I can think about during the core. So it's Greg, but then there's more, right? Yeah, who is after Greg Cox? We have Ashley Madison. We have a whole episode dedicated to Ashley Madison with quote unquote Nikki. Maybe that's her real name. Maybe that's not. Maybe she's having an affair. Maybe she's not. <laughs> I mean, yes, she is having an affair. <laughs> no, Nikki is not her real name. But it really is an interesting exploration into why women cheat. And I think Ashley Madison has so far been a thing that we think of as just like, this is what men do. They Mm -hmm. go on Ashley Madison to cheat on their wives. But so far, we've not really heard from women who cheat on the site. So this interview was really enlightening for us. And we talked to a couple of people from the company, too. Yeah, I think you guys are going to love it. And then we're doing some more OnlyFans stuff, which... It's going to be incredible. So we have a lot of super fun content coming up for you guys. Hey, Sophia, what's that bomb ass music? I'm so glad you asked. This music is by our friend Amy Rosh. You should buy her music and listen to it everywhere you can find it. Her last name is spelled R-A-A-S-C-H. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda from Plastic Audio. We love you, Michael. Is that a solo? (laughs) I was trying to be like the background bass and I was hoping you'd go high. But, you know, these never work. So (laughs) No, we're still doing it, though. You guys committed as ever. Uh, Zero out of hundreds. Loving this (laughs) average. Hey, Sophia, what's it time for? It's time for the review of the week. Boom, 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 boom sad trombone though because you guys we don't have a new review this week what the hell honestly what the hell (laughs) 
<laughs> Courtney, like cool it. We weren't going to bully them into reviews. We were going to ask nicely. I don't care what it takes. I just feel like... Especially if you enjoy Coke's butt and tits on OnlyFans, you owe her this. You better review this podcast. This is a non-monetary way that you guys can contribute. But also join her on OnlyFans. Uh, Coco Peep Show, you guys. <laughs> Thanks, Sophia. You're good welcome. Promo. I'm a really good pimp. You are a good pimp. But seriously, we need more reviews. So go over to Apple Podcasts. Or actually, you know, we have a service that makes it super easy for you guys to rate and review us. You just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. What's that, Sophia? I don't know. Oh, you don't know? <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Ratethispodcast.com slash private. That's right. You just go there. You hit five stars. You give us a really sweet review. It takes literally one minute. And then we have something that we get to read for you next week. We love your compliments. So give them to us. And I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Was I supposed to come in and be like, yeah, do it. Something. You I do it. You, you give it to us. <laughs> Catch you next week when you're going to give it to us. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who's the sub or the dom here, us or them. <laughs> I mean, it's a beautiful switch situation. I think that's that works for us. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.